So we're in continuing in our series, which is on the spiritual gifts. And as we've been talking, not only in this series, but in our study through Ephesians, we've been examining this idea that God is uh, building a temple, only unlike in the previous iterations in the Old Testament, this is not a temple, temple that's physical, excuse me, but it is actually communal. It's a community of people. And the stones, rather than being physical stones, are people who are being brought together uh, to being knit together, to, to grow up together as living stones into a community that will display the glory of God in the world and even beyond, uh, as we learned in Ephesians, that the principalities and powers in the heavenlies look down and see displayed in the church the glory of God. And this is the journey that we're on together. And now we're getting a little bit more practical in this journey as we talk about the spiritual gifts. One of the things that you notice about the church and the way God has designed the church to function is that it's a very democratic organization, entity, organism, if you will. Um, dem- democracy just means people power. And, and so what, when we say that, we're saying that what God has intended is that the, the power of the, the work of God would be mitigated through all the people, not just through a select few, but all the people in the community, in this temple would be, uh, would be empowered and called to do the ministry that God has intended for us. Now, you look through history, you'll see that this is always the case with entities, organisms, communities that are strong. They're always very democratic. So we can see uh, just a, a, an example unfolding for us over the past weeks. If you've been watching the Olympics, um, you've been watching the, the U.S. team uh, men's basketball team, and on paper, you see that they should be dominating every other team, but because they've been playing what's called hero ball, uh, relying on their own individual skills and not you know, passing and playing as a team, they nearly lost to Serbia and to France, just barely pulling it out by three points. Um, and so they know that they have to change because even if you have a lot more skill, you have to work together to be effective in a community. And we could go through history and see... Many, many examples of this. Now, the interesting thing about the church is that given that reality, you would think the church would come together and, oh boy, we got to figure out what we're each going to do. But the beautiful thing about the church is that the Holy Spirit comes along and gives each person a gift to be able to use in the community of faith, to be able to serve the body with. So that not only does God want this to be very democratic in the sense that the power is in the people, all the people, but he also wants it to, he also comes alongside and provides what it will be that we'll be bringing to the community of faith to serve and to to minister and to make church go. Now, there are lots of different gifts in the New Testament and in this series we're unpacking them. Let me put up this list that we find. This is just one list from the New Testament. If we look at the primary texts that talk about the spiritual gifts, we see this kind of list there. And it's probably not an exhaustive list. There are probably many other kinds of ways that people's giftedness manifests itself in the community of faith. Um, But we're breaking these down and exploring them over the weeks together. And this week, we're going to be looking at what I'm calling the gifts of service. And there's three that are under this category. That would be helps, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, and then the gift of serving proper. All these appear in the lists in the New Testament. So would you open with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. 
and we're going to explore this together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll pass one to you. Um, please don't hesitate. We do this all the time. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. We'd love to give you a Bible. And we actually mean giving you a Bible. If you need that Bible, just take it home with you. We want you to have it. And in that particular Bible, it's on page 663, where we'll find our text. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. I'm hoping that over this series, we're going to be able to really uh, look at all the different texts that talk about the spiritual gifts. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages today. By way of reminder, let's start in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. There it is. So God empowers them, and it's in everyone. To each, verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul goes on to outline some of those manifestations. And if you'll skip down with me to verse 27, we're going to see, talked about there, the particular giftedness that we're exploring today. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, there it is, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way, and at the end of this series, we're going to come to that more excellent way, so you're going to have to hold your breath on that one. Uh, But today, we're going to kind of back up in that text and look at the gift of helping, of helps, and the gift of administration. And if you'll turn over with me to Romans 12 now... Uh, just turn back to your left to Romans 12, page 655 in the book that uh, the Bible that we hand out. It's kind of easy to remember where the spiritual gifts passages are. It's 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and then there's a few others that we're going to look at, but those are the two primary ones. We've studied this passage already, so look with me in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith if service, there's, the, there's that term, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be exploring all of these. But today, I'm going to pull out from that passage, the gift of serving. All right, so... What we're going to see is that that Christ really models service for us. And so if we want to be like Christ, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and and get into some serving as well. We want to explore explore three areas of um, this kind of giftedness. First of all, this morning I want to talk about gifts generally. I'm, I'm hoping that as we go through this series, we'll not only look at the specific gifts, but we'll continue to develop a deeper and fuller understanding of what the gifts are in and of themselves. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. Then I want to talk about the gifts of service. And then lastly, this morning, I want to talk about the glory of service. So gifts generally, gifts of service, and the glory of service. So a few things about the spiritual gifts. As we've been studying over these last weeks, we're continuing to develop our our theology of gifts. So let me say a couple of things about that. I've already talked about it being a very democratic thing. Um, You know, 
It's tempting for us to think of a Sunday morning gathering as the church. Um, we say we, we go to church, but if we want to be theologically accurate, we wouldn't really say that we go to church because the church is the people gathered together or scattered to do ministry. The church is not an event. It's not a meeting. It's not a place, certainly. It's the people. And so as we think about spiritual gifts, we've got to keep that in mind. Wherever we are, this Sunday morning is a very important aspect of the ministry of the church because it's where we, where the church comes together to huddle around the scripture, to be encouraged, to get a new vision, to be knit together. We sort of break out of this place, hopefully, with uh, a new vision and a motivation to go and live for Jesus Christ. Uh, but it isn't everything. The church functions outside of this gathering in myriad ways. When we get together in our home groups, when we see a need and serve that person, when we, when we go out and do ministry together, all kinds of ways. When we're in our workplace and we maybe meet with a brother and sister or sister there um, to be the church together or, or to just represent Christ. Sometimes we're all alone. We're, we're the church in a place representing Christ there. So we've got to get a clear sense of what the church is. And what, what we know is that each person who's part of the church has been given a gift. In fact, in two texts that we've already read this morning, we've seen that. That each person has at least one gift to bring to the ministry of the church. And here's what, what's really important about that. Is to say that you don't need to wait for permission to exercise your gift. You don't need to wait for a title to exercise your gift. You already have permission in the Holy Spirit. You already have the title that you need, which is follower of Jesus Christ, if in fact you have come to faith in Him. That's all that you need to begin exercising your gift. And the human structures of the church are actually to come along behind the spiritual structure and, and, and begin to reflect that. But at the end of the day, the most important structure is this, the structure that the Holy Spirit is administering in the church. He's assigning and calling people to take up roles and to do things, to carry out ministry. And it's important for us to seek that in our own as followers and to obey and to step into it. Because when we don't, we impoverish the church. You see, if you have a gift that God intends for the, for the church, he may be entrusting that important aspect of our ministry to you. But if you withhold that gift, then we're missing out. You're impoverishing the church. And you're also impoverishing your own walk with the Lord because part of your growth is for you to live through your spiritual gift, to grow through it. And so you're stunting the work of the Spirit in your life. So I want to say that maybe sounds strong, but each of us needs to put our hand to the work of ministry in the way that God is calling us. Again, generally, um, I want you to understand how incredibly important these gifts are. In fact... It would probably be better for us not to use the term gift. A more accurate, accurate way to translate the word in Greek that's underneath that would be a ministry of grace. The very root of that word is grace. So I'm going to start to use these interchangeably. I'll, I'll probably still use the word gift. But I'm also going to talk about grace ministries. These are our grace ministries. Now, why do I say that? Well, um, in Ephesians, excuse me, in 1 Peter 4, 10, we have a bit of a definition of this. 1 Peter 4, 10, Peter writes this. As each has received a gift, so there's that concept. Again, you all have a gift. 
or a grace ministry would be another way to translate that. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So, so really, what the, if we wanted to read it and catch all the nuance that Peter intends for us to catch, he say, as each of us has received a grace ministry, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, here's why the spiritual gifts or the grace ministries are incredibly important. Because the very grace of God is being dispensed in the community of faith through the exercise of the grace ministries that are given to various people in the community, the spiritual gifts. So as we, it's not just that we're sort of serving, we're actually privileged and empowered to be dispensers of the grace of God in community. And you know that grace is kind of like the fuel that the church runs on. Grace empowers and motivates and enlivens what we do as a church. And that grace comes through us to one another as we operate out of our giftedness, as we dispense with our grace ministry. So, you know, somebody has said a word to you, maybe called you to a particular scripture just when you needed it. And that stayed with you for the rest of the week and informed the way you looked at the world and, and was a blessing to you. Maybe somebody has has been present with you at a difficult time when you didn't expect it. And now in their presence, you find encouragement and and sort of the grace of God coming through. Or maybe you found material provision uh, through uh, people who've been using their gifts in the community of faith. Um, And you knew that God was behind it. When we were working on our house over this past year, um, many of you came and helped with the house, and we were so grateful and so thankful for that. And there would be times on a Saturday, for example, where we'd start a big project, and there would be people there to help. And then at a lunchtime or something, they would understandably need to go and do something else. And multiple times, I'd be in the middle of a big project that I couldn't do on my own, but that I'd already started. And God would inevitably cause somebody to show up right at that time to be an extra set of hands to help out with the project. Now, the person who came didn't know that they were just filling in for somebody who had left. But that's what ended up happening. And so there was this sort of dynamic where when the Holy Spirit orchestrates things, on the human level, you sense encouragement because the brother or sister is seeking to bless you. But when they bless you in ways that they couldn't even have known, then you know that God is behind it. So... The exercise of the gifts is doubly encouraging because it, it, it manifests the love between brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But when it happens in ways that only God could orchestrate, then you know that God is behind it. So you, you're reminded that God loves you and is blessing you. So in this way, the grace of God comes to us through people and through God orchestrating their giftedness. And then generally speaking... I think probably because of this definition, this grace ministries idea as opposed to gift, we really should be thinking about spiritual gifts more as assignments from God. So in English, the word gift has this strong sense of ability, special, unique talent. And while that matters when we're talking about the spiritual gifts, at the end of the day, the most important thing isn't about what you're talented in, It's about what the Holy Spirit wants you to do in the body of Christ. 
And sometimes if we focus on gifts and talents, we kind of, we go down this path where we're, you know, it's sort of this self-actualization, like, what am I good at? And you just do deep soul searching, and it can just be endless, endless quest for what am I good at and finding my particular place. And the talents and abilities are important, but at the end of the day, what we really need to be asking is, what does God want me to do? And if we focus too much on our abilities and our giftedness, sometimes that can run contrary to one of the key lessons of the New Testament. And that is this, that we minister out of weakness and dependency more than we minister out of skill and capability. And if we're spending all our time figuring out what am I good at and what am I better at this person is, and then we let that shape, then we're missing a critical lesson. And that is the most powerful ministry takes place when we're working out of our weakness often. And sometimes our Holy Spirit assignment will be to do something that seems to be the very most difficult thing for us to do. But in that need for us to depend on God, we're going to experience the strength to get it done. One of my very first sermons I preached, I was still in seminary, and they called up the seminary and said, some church in Peoria, Illinois, said, we need a pastor to preach this Sunday. Do you have anybody? He said, well, send Andrew down there. Um, so I went down, and I'd probably preached two or three sermons. At that point, I was preaching sermons from a manuscript, so I would write out just about every word, and I would say just about every word that was on the manuscript. I didn't go off script, really, because um, I just wanted to learn and, and grow and, and was working hard at it. Well, I got down there to preach the sermon, and I was making my way through the sermon, and I came to a list that I'd written out carefully of different ways that the passage would apply to people's lives. And as I got partway through the, the list, it was the strangest thing. I'd never had this happen before. A word came out of my mouth that wasn't on the list to apply this text to a circumstance I hadn't thought of before. Well, you know what happens next, right? After the sermon's done, guy walks up bawling. And it was that very word that ministered to him. The one that I didn't expect. So you can get so far on giftedness, but at the end of the day, if we really want to see transformation and beautiful things, ha beautiful things happen in people's lives, we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and for God to guide us and lead us. And so we need to be careful about thinking of this in terms of abilities versus assignments that cultivate a dependency upon God. And this is true of all the gifts. But let's talk about the gifts of service because these are three very, very critical gifts for the church. We cannot function without the gifts of service. Can't live without them. So let me just spend a moment defining these terms, helps, administration, and service. First of all, helps is the ability or the capacity to assist, to come, to come alongside and to aid somebody else. And it particularly seems to carry this idea of the ability to perceive the need and anticipate it before it happens. So, again, just to use another house construction analogy, because that's a big part of my life right now. Um, you're working with somebody, and there's some people who just have that sense, they know what tool you're going to need next. And they reach in and pull it out, and, and you don't even realize, just as you're about to get there, the tool's already right in front of you. That's the gift of helps being activated, okay? And, and you can think about this with respect to the community, how this is so important. When we bring the gift of helps alongside the gift of leadership, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, you can see, you know, that God will use some people to kind of get a big vision. Here's where we're going together as a community. And yet, as that person launches out to, to try to make that vision happen with the help of God, 
then oftentimes you encounter challenges and the person with the gift of helps comes along and just sort of smooths the path, makes it possible to be able to accomplish what God has set in the sights of the person with the gift of leadership and and to see sort of the pitfalls and the struggles and to address those. Um, The gift of helps, absolutely critical. Huge boost to the community of faith. The word for administration, the root of it, is the same root that would be used as a nautical term for the steersman. So the person in the boat who steers the boat, perhaps through a a, a difficult channel uh, or down a particular waterway. So then if we look through the uses of the word administration, what we see is that it refers to a kind of a leadership that is focused on the ground level. This project or this initiative or a very specific leadership task, not necessarily the 40,000 foot view and the big picture, but leading. So so somebody decides what boat is going to be used and what's going to be put on the boat and where the boat is going to go. But somebody has to navigate the boat through the tricky channels and to get the boat from point A to point B. That's what the steersman does. That's what the administrator does, is to to lead on the ground level. And then thirdly, the gift of service. Very similar to the gift of helps. Um, But more, it seems, referring to uh, a task that is a duty or an obligation that is more formalized within a community structure. So the word for service is the same word that is used for for us to get the word deacon. Um, It means to render assistance or to perform a duty. So like helps, but just a little bit more formal. Something that somebody does on a regular basis, it seems, the way it's used. So, for example, in Acts 6, the Christian community is doing two things that the Christian community should always be doing. They're proclaiming the gospel and they're serving the needy in particular the widows in this case, and the community is growing, and the apostles are doing both the proclaiming of the word and the serving of the poor, the the widows, and as it gets bigger, it becomes unwieldy, and so they finally kind of call out, "We we can't neglect the proclaiming of the word in order to continue to serve the needy, and so they they raise up people that they call deacons, to carry out the ministry of service for the poor. And they divide the ministries in that way so they can keep proclaiming the word and serving the poor, both important. And after they do that, this is the commentary that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, on the heels of that restructuring and that sort of manifestation of the various gifts, the church continued to flourish in that particular area. So then we ask ourselves, helps administration service, where in our community of faith do we need those gifts? And the answer really is everywhere. Every time, whenever we gather together, there's opportunity for people to express their giftedness in terms of helps, administration, or service. In all modes of the church, Sunday morning when we gather, you know, we're a transient church. We, we have to transform a, a, an elementary auditorium into a sanctuary every week. So these kinds of gifts unfold there. But it's not just here. It's when we gather in our home groups. 
Somebody needs to organize what happens. Somebody needs to administer what takes place. We need people to serve one another. One of the things I hope through this series is that we will really look at our home group communities in a new way. And we will think about the gifts being manifest within that community. Because you have to be in that kind of close relationship to really see the power of the gifts unleashed in community. So who in your home group has the gift of service? Who has the gift of administration? And how can we appreciate these gifts and allow them to be brought to the fore as the community does life together? Of course, in children's ministries, we need this. In our youth ministry, we need these gifts. Whenever we do a service project, when we go out on the city, we're going to be doing this Count Me In in October. We go out and we serve the poor and the needy in our area. Um, We need people to organize. We need administrators. We need serving people. Um, So everywhere you look in in the church, you see this need for the spiritual gifts. And, and in first service, I took a moment to talk a little bit about Sunday morning because we've now been doing this for 11 years as a transient church, setting up on Sunday morning and then tearing down afterwards. And it's a lot of work to do. And so how does it fit into this? And you're probably sick of hearing us say, we need more people on Sunday morning to help with setup and tear down. Um, and I've, so I've had time to watch this kind of unfold. And I think here would probably be the best way for us and something for us to aspire to. And that is the gift, the people with the gift of helps and service would be sort of the leaders in this effort. There are some people that I talk to and they absolutely love the setup and teardown ministry. And they feel like this is an expression of what God has called me to do in this church. And it's very important to them and very important to us, obviously. So we identified some of those people. But what happens because the load is great, is that too much of it gets placed on them. So through this summer, we've had a small number of people who have doubled up oftentimes and done multiple weeks in a row, or they've done the setup and the teardown with half of a team for multiple weeks in a row. And the result, of course, even if it's your gift, you start to get exhausted and tired in that. So what I think is, would be most, health, most healthy for us is if we understood that the people with the gift of helps and service are going to lead the charge on Sunday morning, set up and tear down. But all of us, we're going to get to this, we're all supposed to be like Christ in our service, right? In our servant attitude, all of us would come alongside and serve with them. We would help in that process, that we would take a week, one week of the month, and just sign up and be a part of the setup and the teardown. It doesn't take that long. So that, and here's what happens, is when you have enough people, it's actually easy to do, and, and there's, it's fun. You pray beforehand. You, you have time to actually remember the spiritual aspects. I mean, let's not forget that every chair that we set out is an opportunity for somebody to come and have a place to be where they can hear the gospel proclaimed, or they can be prayed for, or all kinds of things can take place. So incredibly important. And, and when we're doing this together, um, it just, we can remember all those important things about why we do this. It becomes fun. And when somebody walks in, they see a different kind of a spirit. So I really am encouraging us to aspire to that. Um, I said it pretty strongly in first service. I hope I'm not saying it too strongly. But listen, just help out. It's once a month. I would love to never have to say anything about set up and tear down again. Because this attitude of service had just pervaded our community. 
And everybody just said, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it once a month. And the other three Sundays, I don't even have to worry about it. I can just talk with my friends and let other people do it, right? Once a month. So at the end of this service, fill out a card and put your name on there. I'm willing to help. I will help with set up and tear down, all of that. Um, This is how these gifts are worked out uh, in our community. And that sort of leads to to the next final piece, and that is the glory of service. We have to really end with this. Um, society values certain life assignments more than others, right? Our culture likes to elevate certain roles and duties and diminish other kinds. You see it in our, the way we pay people. You see it in the titles we give, in the deference that we show to people. And I want to remind you that the New Testament turns that upside down, that that's not the way it is in the, in the body of Christ. Back in our 1 Corinthians 12 passage, starting in verse 14. If you want to take a look at that with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Now, Paul is talking about the body as the, the, excuse me, the church as the body. And here's what he says. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care For one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, do you see how countercultural that is? You just you can't even really ask this, but you you know, who contributes most time and energy and effort to this church? I don't know. We don't know. Because the service of the church is complex. And manifold, and, and much, and much of it is hidden, and so, and so, you can't even ask these questions. We all need each other, and the beautiful thing about it is that we're all doing one thing. That I love the metaphor of the body because what it communicates is that though there are many parts, they're working in tandem to accomplish one goal, and so all the pieces of the church work in tandem to accomplish the goal of proclaiming the gospel, and making available to others. The different assignments are part of one thing God is doing. And it makes me think a little bit of Matthew 21, where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And you may remember this incident in the Gospels. Just before he gets to Jerusalem, he dispatches the apostles and says, all right, I want you to go ahead of me, and uh, I want you to get this donkey at this particular place, And if anybody asks you about it, just say, the Lord has need of it, and then bring this donkey to me. Now, 
I try to imagine what the disciples were thinking when Jesus gave them this charge. First of all, you've walked all across Israel and now you need a donkey to enter in to Jerusalem. Okay, first question they had. Second question is, whose donkey is this that we're stealing? And if we really say to him, the Lord has need of it, are they going to be okay with that, right? So there's confusion, probably, I would imagine. And then, I don't know how they felt about donkeys, but donkeys are very stubborn and uh, difficult to maneuver. And who's to say that if we get this donkey, it's going to come with us? So Jesus, what are you doing telling us to get the donkey? Do we really have to get the donkey? Well, years later, when Matthew is reflecting on that incident of getting the donkey, he writes this in Matthew 21. He says, here's what's happening when we got the donkey and brought it to Jesus. Quoting Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a what? A donkey. And on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So, so they're thinking, probably, I'm, I'm speculating, we're getting the donkey. What's the point of the donkey? Why do we need the donkey? We're almost to Jerusalem. Why do we need to get on a donkey now? Nothing maybe made sense to them. And they come to find out that they're actually fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about the coming, the very coming of the Messiah. And a lot of times, we feel like that, right? Setting up a chair or serving somebody in your home group or meeting a need that somebody has, it kind of feels like getting the donkey, right? It's not that exciting. And yet somehow, in some way, God is orchestrating this beautiful uh, singular mission. And our simple little role contributes to that. It's a part of what God is doing. And we might later have the blessing and the benefit of seeing the significance of the donkey that we got. In some ways, you can think of the church, really, all that we do is, is like we're the donkey, right? For the, for the entrance of Jesus, not into just Jerusalem, but into the world. We're just the donkey. A lot of what we do is donkey getting kind of stuff. But when you see it in the larger framework, it takes on a whole new perspective. So we have to stop being afraid of getting the donkey, right? Doing the menial thing, you know, whatever it is. Because it's through this kind of a thing that the, the most glorious elements of God's redemptive vision take place in the world. And then I just have to end with this one statement in Philippians 2. Not only are these the reasons, not, the glory of service is not only tied up in that the New Testament turns service upside down and elevates the one who serves. Not only is that we're all part of some amazing ministry that's happening and the little things that we do, we don't see contribute to this beautiful goal. But finally, this is the very essence of what it means to be like Jesus Christ, to serve to help, to come alongside, is the very essence of what it means to be like Jesus Christ. So Philippians 2, and I'll put it up there, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. So none of us, when we step down to serve, comes from that high. 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that as we capture the mentality of service and servanthood, we actually demonstrate to the world what Christ-likeness really is. Do you see? I mean, this is right at the very core of the gospel. And wouldn't it be great if when somebody walks through these doors, they just caught a whiff of something different, that they hadn't experienced a community of people who are quick to lay it down for one another. To serve one. What if there was just sort of this, this vibe of servanthood in our community that was infectious, right? And not only that, as we live into it, we would have the joy and the privilege of experiencing on a deeper level what it means to be like Jesus. Because this is who Jesus is. He's the one who came from the highest heights, laid it aside, and put the serving towel over his arm to serve the people that he loved. And that's our call.